John 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bear, bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, abiding my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abiding in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Now let me pray for us. Our Father, we give thanks to you for this message from Jesus that we have just heard read. We see in it the reminder that you have loved us, and we pray that we would return praise and thanks to you. And we pray also that you would lead us by your spirit as we look now at your word. Lead us to see your goodness so that the natural response of our hearts would be thanksgiving, adoration, devotion, and commitment. Lord, watch over us in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're going to talk about relationships. Relationships are very important, but relationships are also hard. Most of us are willing to do at least some of the work. We know that it takes patience, it takes investment, it takes forgiveness, all of these things. And yet, because it's hard, sometimes we're not doing enough of the work to really stay deep or to stay connected. And some of us get tired enough that we just give up. We get cynical. We, we wind up um, thinking it's easier to just do life on our own. Most of us don't get there or don't stay there because we realize the value in relationships. And yet all of us need to grow. And, and, and each of us have different skills relationally. We have different abilities of, of, the, of the various things that we need to do to have 
growing, deepening, enduring relationships. Um, all of us need to grow. And so some of us are very good at connecting with people early on, uh, strongly. Um, there, there are some people who are very outgoing, who are able to have conversations with people that they don't know and um, could wind up having lots of friendships. And sometimes, sometimes those people really can deepen and have some very meaningful relationships and a lot of broader friendships. But sometimes people with those skills wind up having a lot of friends, but never really have any deep friendships, never really have anyone that they connect with uh, on a more significant level. And so uh, sometimes people who look like they're very relationally skilled can wind up feeling a bit alone. And then you have some people who um, don't find it so easy to talk to others or don't like small talk. They like to, to, to talk about meaningful things and, and therefore it could look like they are not relationally connected, but they could have a few very good, very close friends. Now that's valuable as well. But even there, growth is needed because our world has such high turnover these days. This is true, I suspect, everywhere, but certainly in New York City that if you're somebody who doesn't like small talk, you may never uh, get past the small talk. You may never have the kinds of conversations with people to find out who you can or should be deepening with. And so even there, uh, you may have the patience or the investment or the faithfulness, but may not thrive in relationships because of, of high turnover or any number of reasons. I'm giving these as a couple of examples of just how all of us need to grow and and, and yet what Jesus tells us in the passage we're looking at, uh, the foundational, the big picture area, one of the key contributions Jesus makes and how he commands and encourages us is that love is essential. And that's what he does. He commands us that we would love one another. That's one of the signs, one of the marks of being his followers. And so we're in a sermon series where we're talking about love. And at Emmanuel, we talk about these four relationships that we want restored and we want to experience renewal and relationship with God, within ourselves, with others, and with the world. And so in the sermon series on love, we've been looking at each of these relationships. So we talked for a few weeks about love for God. Then we talked for a few weeks about how um, the love of God brings uh, renewal within us. Um, and today we're starting what will, what will be a couple of weeks of looking at how, how the love of Jesus changes how we relate to others, how we love others. And so that will be the, the focus for today, Jesus' command that we love one another. And what we're going to talk about is two things, connection and imitation. So uh, first, uh, with the connection, we're talking about connecting with Jesus. And then when we're talking about imitating, we're talking about imitating Jesus that's actually part of how we grow, how we change, how we deepen in our ability to love others. So I'm going to begin with talking about connection. And this is very important because in, in, as we talk about God's self, others in the world, while, while each of us may need to focus on any one of these areas at any particular time or may really need to grow in any one of these areas, there is a logic to that ordering that by connecting with God, that's where we see change within ourselves. By ch having change within ourselves, that's where we change as we relate to others, and, and changed people then engage the world in changed ways. Uh, so you see that here in this passage where Jesus' encouragement to the disciples is that they abide with him, they remain with him. 
And so, so this gives a window into what Jesus assumes it means to be a follower of his. It doesn't mean simply that you learn a few tips from him and try to live a better life. It doesn't mean that you come to him when you're discouraged for encouragement, but then get back out there into the world to live your own life. Uh, Jesus invites us to join our lives with us. And we're looking at John today, John 15. But John 1 opens up with, with the words, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Christian message begins with, uh, or in John's gospel, with Jesus joining himself to us, this profound reality we call the incarnation. And then his invitation to follow him is an invitation to join our lives with him. And so, so here in John 15, he's not talking to sort of seekers or people that are curious, in which case maybe he would lead with other things, but he's talking to those who have been with him, who have heard his teachings, who have seen the powerful things that he's done, who have recognized his integrity. And to them, he's saying, abide, remain. And he seems to be saying, we've joined our lives together, and now I want to encourage you to, to stay with me. That is how they are to grow. That is how uh, the, the work of spiritual renewal not only comes into our lives, but continues to do its work as we live life with Jesus. So uh, in, in verses four and five of today's passage, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. See, there's this vital connection, sometimes theologically what we categorize as union with Christ. Jesus and his people are bound up together. And so he goes on to say in verse five, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's quite a strong statement. Uh, it's not that you can do nothing in life, but, but what he's calling us to, uh, this vision for a, a life filled with joy, a, a life of fruitfulness, a life of, of hope and renewal. He's saying, if you are not vitally connected with me, apart from me, you can't just take the things that I've said, or you can't learn the practices of Christianity, expect to really grow, but you grow with me. Uh, and so he goes on to say uh, that, you know, in verse 10, he says, you know, if you keep my commandments, um, that being a focus for him, this commandment, his word is a way of signaling. What he's saying is very important. If we want to know what Jesus values, if we want to learn from him, he's teaching us. And he says in, in verse seven, my, my words abide in you. And so this is where, where love changes the nature of the relationship, that a commandment is not just Jesus outside of us, who as an authoritarian makes orders of what we do. But if Jesus is the one who has joined with us and is working patiently and molding and renewing us, he's saying, when I, when I command you something, your wor my word should be planted deep within you. In verse seven, when my word abides in you, uh, that's one of the ways that we remain, and, and that's part of the struggle of the Christian life. I don't see Jesus. Where is he? Well, let's listen to what Jesus has said, not as something outside of us, but, but as something we take in in order to walk with Jesus. And, and love is important in that connection with Jesus. And one of the ways that we know that the connection is so important is because of this, this model that he gives us where he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And so, so he gives us a picture here that's similar to the picture we've looked at or that we've had in the last couple of weeks, although it's different. If you've been with us for the last two weeks, two weeks ago, uh, we, we used an engineering or an architectural image. 
where, where you know, human beings are, are like a building that needs to have a strong foundation. And so what's in your living place, your appliances, um, your fixtures, all of those are important and valuable. But what's more important is what's happening in the foundation. And so there's a sense in which we need to be rooted in Jesus Christ for a firm foundation. Now, last week we looked in Ephesians 3, where we're told to be rooted and grounded in love. Grounded seems a little bit more like the architectural imagery. Rooted is a little bit more agricultural, where we plant our roots in the soil and draw life from that so that we grow up towards, um, in Ephesians, where it talks about the surpassing love of Christ. And so we're rooted in love, and love is above us, and so we're taking it in and we're moving towards it. Uh, today's image is similar, although each of these is distinct. The building with its foundations, the plant with its roots growing up, um, but also the vine that's part of the branch. And this imagery talks about this vital connection where the vine draws its, or the branch draws its life from the vine, and therefore the fruit that comes out of our life is part of our being connected. If, if we want fruitfulness in life, we also need to focus on what we are deeply connected with. And this is where Jesus says, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the, the invitation of Jesus, and that's the model for the Christian life. Uh, and so he goes on in verse 15 to say, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. And, and, and that's something for us to pause and reflect on, because he's, he's saying something profound. He's expanding their understanding of who he is and what he's doing for them. He's not changing the model from you're no longer servants to now you are friends as as though that was a transitional period. But we understand servanthood and friendship along with these other ways that Jesus teaches us that really broadens and stretches us because we have a lot of growing to do. I wonder for you if it's easier to think of Jesus as a master or a Lord that you serve, or if it's easier for you to think of Jesus as a friend who you share your life with. And the point here is, is we probably need to be holding both of those together, but we're not good at that. Some of you get the servant metaphor quite easily. It just makes sense. Jesus is in charge. He has authority. He's powerful. He's wise. He's the son of God. And if he commands you to do something, you do it and you don't ask any questions. And if you're faithful, you could expect to be rewarded. And if you cause problems, if you're not doing it, you could expect to be punished in some way or fired or cast off or whatever it is. And to some of you, that makes complete sense. And it does, that fits, that will get you a long way. But it's impersonal. It, it, it doesn't communicate the nature of the fact that Jesus cares for us. And so, uh, so when you're struggling with failing, when you're not keeping the rules and you start to fear, am I gonna get punished? There's nothing in there to say, but, but the one who commands me does so not because those are his rules, but because he cares for me. And therefore, is there anything to help me while I'm not getting it, while I'm failing? And this is where a religious paradigm doesn't always feed that. Just learn the rules, do them, you'll get rewarded or you'll be punished. And that paradigm, it makes sense from a human perspective, but Jesus is expanding us. And so here he says, I'm not just calling you servants, but I call you friends. For some of you, the friendship of Jesus is so obviously valuable, his care for you, to have a partner in life so that you're not alone, you're not isolated. When you're hurting, 
you really believe somebody shares in that. That's very valuable. But if Jesus is only a friend, if he's only a peer, then it's nice that he cares for you when you're hurting, but you have faith that he will actually do something to overcome the biggest problems you see and face. If he's just a friend, it'd be hard to maintain that. But Jesus is a friend, but he's more than a friend. Jesus is a Lord and master, but he's more than that. And it's not just a Lord and friend that we need as models, but it's lots of things that Jesus teaches us. But, but in this passage, those two concepts are there. And I want you to, to think about that. What does it mean that we are to, to serve Jesus and keep his commandments? Because he doesn't say, now that you're my friends, I no longer teach and instruct you. But he says, I'm giving you a commandment. And yet the commandment is not simply keep the rules so I can reward you. And if you don't, I will punish you. But he says, I'm treating you as friends. And to understand this, there's a lot to it, but I'm just going to pull for the sake of time. One thing from the passage, verse 15, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. One of the reasons he wants us to understand that we're not mere servants is because a, a true servant, it doesn't matter why the master tells you to do what you're doing. You, you know, and, and if you think of a modern work analogy, the master tells you to do it and then either do it and get it done right and you will get paid. And if not, then he won't be useful to you. But whether or not you understand what's going on doesn't really matter. Um, for Jesus, it's very important that you understand what's going on. A servant doesn't know what the master is doing, but, but, but you are friends because when Jesus gives you commandments, it's not because he's on a power trip. It's not because he wants to uh, ruin your life or he sees you as a tool for his purposes, but it's because of his love for you that sometimes he needs to speak with authority, that the commandment is, listen to me carefully, take this seriously, trust me in the wisdom of my ways, and I will explain to you so that you, you grow to understand the wisdom of my ways so that you don't relate to me simply keeping commandments, but that by keeping my commandments, you come to see the, the greater fullness and fruitfulness of the life that I live. And so I will command you, but I will also teach you. I will explain to you. I will bear patiently with you. And as you go through life, I will be with you. And so, so that model changes. And so uh, where we see the importance of this in the passage, you know, in, in the opening verses, one to five, this imagery of the vine and the branches. In verse two, um, Jesus says something that, that maybe is a bit provoking. He says that there are branches that don't bear fruit and the father is going to cut them off. Um, but there are branches that, that bear fruit and the father is going to prune them. And so, so that picture uh, highlights the importance of what Jesus is saying is, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, but if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. And love is very important because that is the fundamental bond. I don't call you just servants, but I call you friends. But he's warning us that a, a superficial form of Christianity won't work. We, we, we're not going to be fruitful if we're just trying to keep the rules or if we're just trying to make our lives better or if we're just showing up at church occasionally for some sentimental connection. He's saying if that's what happens, if, 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 you're, if your connection is very thin and limited, you're not going to bear fruit and, and you're not going to remain. And so, so uh, his encouragement is plant deep roots uh, or, or using the vine and the branch, hold firmly to the vine. 
But what's interesting there is, is he says, but the father will be pruning. In other words, there's a cutting off that all of us experience. And he's warning us to say, don't be cut off from the vine because apart from me, you could do nothing. There's no life there. But expect that part of your growth will be that, that sometimes there will be a pruning. And I think this is helpful for us to think about because right now our society is in a season that, that one of the ways that, that we can understand it is pruning is going on. Things that were, we once took for granted, things that we valued, things that we appreciated have been cut off. <laughs> um, things that we were once able to do. This summer, you may not be able to go and swim in Central Park. Uh, that's been taken from us for, uh, for safety reasons. Um, whoever's birthday is coming up in the next month, you may not be able to get together with whoever you would have gotten together with. And so there's a sense in which parts, parts of our lives are being cut off. The question is, how are you understanding how you can be experiencing that? And this is where love is essential. Is spiritual life coming into you because of your connection in Jesus, in which case you don't feel like God is cutting you off from him, but you realize God may be pruning your life in some way. Now, I don't know why, and I don't know in what ways, and I don't know what God is doing in a big picture or what he's doing specifically in your life. But the question is, do you see Jesus not simply as the Lord, but do you also see him as a friend where you can trust him? Do you believe that sometimes in God's wisdom, he will prune your life a little bit in order to strengthen you? Last week, I talked about how we have an arrow garden at home. That's an herb garden. And one of the plants that we're growing is Thai basil and Thai basil sprouts flowers. First time I saw flower, I was like, this is beautiful. I love this. It looks nice. Except that we, uh, we don't have the arrow garden for aesthetic purposes. And so if we want flowers, we would get flowers. But apparently, uh, in my research, you don't want flowers on your basil because once it flowers, then all of the energy of the plant goes there and then the plant will wither and die. And so when I see the flower come up, I like the flower. I want the flower to remain, but the purpose of the basil is for our family is so that we can eat it. So I wind up pruning it. I wind up cutting off the flower, even though I would prefer that it remains because I want the plant to, to flourish and thrive in other ways. Now, now, this is something that we recognize as, as part of life. And so he, he, uh, I sort of feel like as a city church, agricultural metaphors only go so far. So I'm going to use a Marie Kondo um, metaphor. One of the ways that we need to prune our lives, that we need to reduce things, is with the awareness that uh, we have too much stuff. And so occasionally, if you live within your 400 to 1,400 square feet or whatever you get in Manhattan uh, or wherever you are, um, you wind up having too much stuff. And Marie Kondo is one of those who says you need to pare down. But, but what she tries to say is rather than being a minimalist, you could have very few things in life, she tries to focus on what will bring you joy. And to do a careful look and to say, but, but if these things aren't bringing you joy, get rid of them. Now, I don't know whether or not that's the best method. It makes sense to me. I'm not giving you um, apartment advice. But I think what she's getting at there um, is the fact that the initial answer, when you look at any one thing you have in, at home is, no, but this does bring me joy. And this, this does bring me some sort of satisfaction. There is some meaning and purpose. And that's the reason I don't want to get rid of this. But then the question is, but overall, look at it all. Is all of it bringing you joy? Or are you stressed? Are you overwhelmed? <laughs> is it taxing? In which case, yes, you will need to get, there, there's junk mail that you don't want and you just need to have the discipline of getting rid of it. But the problem is there are things that you do want. 
but you need to make the hard choice. This thing is good. There's a reason I want it, but my place is filled with things that are good that I want. And so I may have to get rid of something that I want because what I want is joy. And my whole experience is I'm stressed. I'm anxious. I'm constantly losing things. I, I, I feel like a failure because I live in a mess. And so if you want to make progress on that, sometimes it begins with hard decisions. Here's this thing that that I really appreciate. And it reminds me of this great experience five years ago, but I don't use it. I don't look at it. Maybe I just need to take a photo of it and part with it. And so in that sense, we know that this, this imagery, that's not pruning. I, I didn't give thought to what the word for that is, but, but you know, getting rid of your stuff, streamlining. We know that's part of life. Wouldn't it make sense within the Christian life that there would be some things that instantly you need to get rid of, the junk mail? It's just sitting there. It's causing a problem. There are problems in your life. Just get rid of them. Renounce them. That makes sense to us. We think morally. But, but is it possible also that within our lives, there are things that we could say, I want this, and yet God would say it's good, but for whatever purpose, for, for a better purpose of your strengthening of fullness of joy, Maybe that is something that won't remain or won't remain for this time being. Now, I'm giving a simple model of something that's quite complex. I'm not trying to explain why bad things happen or why change happens or to understand the mystery of God's will in any specific way. But the question is, do you trust Jesus when he says, I call you friends? Do you trust his care? Do you trust his wisdom and his intention? that when the surprises of life come, where we find uh, something I hoped for wasn't realized, something that I was holding on to, I lost. Those are not easy. The question is, do you believe that the fundamental goodness and care of God is still true? And will you remain? Will you abide? Or will you start to wither and say, this isn't worth it. Christianity is not working. I resent God. I'm going to go elsewhere. What Jesus is saying is remain. He's preparing his disciples precisely for this hard world. And to his disciples, he says, abide, remain with me, and you will bear much fruit. And so sometimes the process of making us fruitful is that there's an initial period that's challenging before a period of growth. And so why do wine growers need to prune their vines in order that they would have bigger, fuller, better tasting vines? Uh, Jesus says in verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And we're in this extended period of confusion right now where all sorts of things that we took for granted, all sorts of things that we've leaned on that we've needed, not superficial things. It's not like the question is not what's wrong with you that you're having a hard time. I think most of us are having a hard time. Some of us are having a very hard time. So do we say it's not a problem? Everything's fine? No. We can acknowledge this is hard. We could lament. We can pray, God, end this. God, heal. God, help. All of those things are true. But the thing is, for today, will you remain? Will you abide? Do you believe that spiritual life is still coming into you and that in a period of moving forward in weakness, is there any hope that your future has a period of fullness and joy? Because Jesus says those who abide in him will have that. And so that connection and staying connected is important because when we need life from the vine most, if we wither and go away, we'll never bear fruit. Jesus says, apart from me, you could do nothing. But he says, if you remain in me 
and I in you, you will bear fruit. And so that connection is important. Now, I'm moving to the second part where I want to talk about imitation. And so we're talking about two things, connection and imitation. And I said at the beginning, I'm talking about love and relationships to others, and yet I haven't been talking about others yet. (laughs) I've been talking about you and Jesus. Why this is important is because the way that Jesus uh, shows us that we will grow in our relationships with others is by loving them in a way that, that comes through its strength of being connected with him. That understanding his love, being vitally connected with God, and having the spirit at work feeding us so that we become fruitful, that's what changes our relationships. And so I'm talking today about imitation Because I think that's one of the important models of discipleship, where Jesus says, abide with me, remain with me. One of the things he's saying is, as you go through life, do in the world what I have done for you. And that's really important because human beings are naturally imitators. It's something that we do in all sorts of ways. We talk to teenagers about peer pressures. You you naturally imitate your friends, what, what music they listen to, what they wear, what they do. And we don't think that that two-year-olds are imitators, and we don't think that 25 or 40 or 80-year-olds are imitators. Uh, But look at your life and realize that we want the things that other people want. (laughs) Um, Our vision for success is often defined socially. And there's a lot of good that comes from that, but here's an example of how bad comes from it. Often, whether or not we intend to do it, we imitate the problematic things people do to us. And so, um, ironically, so let's say when you're young, somebody mistreats you and, and makes fun of you, and you find the experience so overwhelmingly um, sad that, that, that it stands out as a memory. And from, from, from a moral conscience perspective, the lesson should be, I hated that, so I will never do that to anyone. But the interesting thing is, sometimes the people that have been picked on the most are the ones that join in the game. <laughs> Uh, And there's a number of reasons uh, why we do that. But the interesting thing is the lesson that should be, I hated this. I don't want to do it. I would never want anyone to do this to me. Um, The application is not always, therefore, I won't do it to somebody else, but we wind up imitating it. Now, Jesus gives us a principle um, to shape our imitation called the golden rule. And this principle actually appears in many other places. And the principle is simple. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That actually helps us take a step past this imitation thing, especially if people are mistreating you. Well, don't don't treat people as they've treated you because if they mistreat you, then you will mistreat them and that changes you. That makes you a person that then takes on these bad habits. But the golden rule says, actually do for others what you would have them do to you, not what they have done to you. And the golden rule is, is so wonderful because it's simplicity and yet, because it's simple, it's one that we need to grow and deepen in. It's, it's one that we need to mature in. And so the rule is simple, but, but we're not to stay simple if we're to grow in love. And so you do for others as you would have them do for you. And then sometimes you realize, wait a second, that principle is a little deeper. So for example, let's say you're somebody who loves amusement parks. And then it's a friend's birthday, and you think if it was my birthday, I would want somebody to go to an amusement park with me. So I'm going to take my friend to an amusement park for their birthday. That's the golden rule. What would I want somebody to do for me? That's what I would want somebody to do, so that's what I'm gonna do for them. And you haven't noticed that your friend gets motion sick 
and you haven't noticed that your friend gets overwhelmed by crowds and your friend is trying to lose weight and therefore doesn't need a funnel cake or whatever it is that you love about the amusement park that your friend wants nothing to do with. And then so, oh, the golden rule breaks down. You don't do for others the thing you'd want them to do for you until you mature and you realize, well, actually, the thing that I want somebody to do for me is not to take me to an amusement park. <laughs> I want somebody to understand what it is I enjoy and do that with me and create an opportunity for it. So the principle is not, I love amusement parks, I'll take other people to amusement parks. The principle is somebody has learned what I like and provided that for me, and now all of a sudden the golden rule works again. <laughs> so now you're back to doing for others as you would have them do for you, but this takes maturing, it takes growth. Jesus gives us something here that helps us even further because it takes us out of the self-centered paradigm that we can get stuck in when we think, why are people dissatisfied? Because I'm just doing for them the things that I would want others to do for me. I wouldn't want somebody to let me be a jerk, and so I'm just gonna tell people that they're being a jerk. <laughs> and then you realize, yeah, there's a breakdown here. And so, so because we're self-centered, we can't simply do to others the things that we would have them do, uh, uh, that we would want them to do for us. And, and this imitation principle works the other way. So the person that, that has mistreated you and your conscious thought is, I hated when they, when they made fun of me, so I will never make fun of anyone. Some people actually do that. They grow, but the effect is still there. See, the person who makes fun of you and you say, I hate being made fun of, so I'm not going to do that. But on a deeper level, what did the person do? The person was feeling perhaps bad about themselves and to feel better about themselves, they needed to pull somebody down. And so they pulled you down. So what you learned is I'm never going to make fun of somebody because it hurts. But what you also learned is, but when I hurt, it makes me feel better if I pull others down. So I'm not making fun of anyone like people made fun of me but still I've picked up on this thing. I'm doing to others what others have done to me. That's the problem of our world. Nobody's perfect. And as we are imperfect, as we ignorantly or sometimes intentionally do things to others, we pass this on so that we create social circumstances where we mistreat each other. We tear each other down. The golden rule pushes against that. Stop. Think what people, what you would want people to do for you. Jesus gives us something here that I think really sharpens and deepens it, but also makes clear why he's so strong in his commandment that we love one another and why we abide in him. He says, this is not just a principle to apply, but this is something that comes from joining your life with mine. And so in verse 12, he says, this is my commandment. So this is really important. Listen to what he's saying. Do this. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, he repeats in verse 17. Remember, this is the commandment that you love one another. But in verse 12, he gives this very important principle. We are to love one another as Jesus has loved us. That's the imitation principle. You will treat people how they have treated you. And even in your desire to treat them as you'd want to be desired, there's something more that we need because our own sin and the ways that we've been sinned against, which ignites and furthers our own sin, causes a breakdown that creates that selfishness that we wind up not doing for others as we would have them do for us, or we do it in some self-serving way. Jesus gives us a principle here, a commandment that you'll love one another as I have loved you. And this does a number of things. Uh, here's some examples. It frees us from the control of others who mistreat us. When somebody mistreats you, it feels unjust to let them get, get away with it. And so you take your hostility with you everywhere in life and you never let go of that person. 
Jesus is saying, don't treat people the way that they have treated you, but first and foremost, see how I have treated you. So then when somebody mistreats you, you're able to let go and say, well, I'm not to imitate them. I'm to imitate Christ. And, and over time, we find that Jesus is giving us a way to freedom and to fruitfulness when he says, love others as I have loved you. It also frees others. Uh, it frees others from having to fit the mold we want them to be in, even in their imperfections, because relationships break down, because we lose patience with people, and we want people to be the kind of people that we can grow with, and therefore we get ahead of their own growth, and we try to put them in a box, and Jesus is saying, well, love them as I loved you. <laughs> Look at the ministry of Jesus. His disciples keep asking dumb questions. They keep misunderstanding him. They do things that, that, that uh, he explicitly has tell, told them not to do, and Jesus says, but I was with you, and I was patient, and I continued to love you. And so I'm telling my people to love each other in the way that I have loved you. Yes, that person is frustrating you and you want to take that frustration and give it back. Or if you're not courageous enough to pass it on to somebody else. So the old kicking the cat. So, you know, the, the friend that, you, that the relationship is vulnerable with, with has mistreated you. So then you go home and you yell at your mother. I want to encourage you not to yell at your mother. I'm sitting next to my wife here in the Zoom call. And so... Uh, that's not just for, for my kids, but it's for all. But it's for everyone. Uh, Jesus frees us from that to allow us to stay in relationship with imperfect people. Now, the reality is, if somebody mistreats you, you can never deepen in your relationship. If you love them and they don't appreciate your love, well, then there's a limit to how deep you can go. But you can't make somebody change by your standards. And so Jesus says, look, as you look to me, and you repent of your sins and expect me to forgive you patiently. So I'm telling you that that's what you need to do in this new community, the church. You need to go and do this with one another. It also broadens our relationships. Here's just a last quick point on this, that if we're able to love others as Jesus has loved us, it means that we can have diversity. And diversity uh, is, is in a variety of ways where, where we can't relate to people who are different from us. I'll pick a more simple example, an invisible example, uh, of finances. Some people make more money than others. And, and once that's discovered in a relationship, it, it creates certain issues. One of the things that I've read about lottery winners is you, you have a bunch of people who, you know, maybe peers and they all get along and all of a sudden one guy wins the lottery and the group of people that would go out for breakfast every week to catch up on each other, all of a sudden the friends are expecting the lottery winner to pay because now there's a distinction, isn't there? I would expect that, that now that you have all of this, um, you know, are you being cheap? And then the lottery winner has the money but feels like, but, I, but I, I didn't become your father who's sponsoring this, but I want to be your friends and wants to maintain a normalcy. Things break down. And there's a sense in which relationships have all sorts of dynamics of inequality. And it's not that we aim to sustain inequality, but one of the ways that we overcome it in able to, to acknowledge differences is not first and foremost to look at relationships and say, here's me, here's you, and now it's only the two of us, but, but we look outside of it to where we're really rooted. We look to Jesus and his spiritual life who comes in, and then when, when Jesus commands us to love others as he has loved us, it allows us to, to get through the discomfort the misunderstanding, the difficulties, which is why the church is meant to be peoples of all nations. We're, we're supposed to, to demonstrate diversity because in the social awkwardness of the impatience of trying to understand one another and the assumptions we make about one another, we, we, there's a breakdown to, you've said something that offended me, now I'm going to protect myself and do something that hurts you. 
And Jesus says, I want you to love each other as I have loved you. And so this creates new possibilities. And so in this, this model of imitation that I'm proposing to you, it comes from Jesus himself, verse 9. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And, and there's this analogy that, that, that Jesus comes in the likeness of the Father. That's one of the things that we're told, that, that the Son listens to what the Father says. The Father loves the Son. And so if you want to know what God is like, when you look at Jesus, we, we know the fullness of what God is like because they're not divided. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus loves us with God's love. And then he tells us, but now I want you to love others with my love. And so the relationship for us is to know what is the nature of the relationship of God's love? What is the nature of the relationship of Jesus for us? This is why it's so important to, to be, abide in that, to get grounded in that before we go out and try to love others. You know, what is the greatness of the love of Jesus? What is the greatness of the love of God? Is there anything greater that would be a model for us and where Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, because apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, there is no greater love than this. This is verse 13 of our passage. There's no greater love than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. Now you see why it's so important when Jesus says, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. Because there is not a greater love than the kind of love that you are about to experience, because you are my friends. I don't just command you because I like to control people. I command you because I love you. And I want you to take seriously what your life can be if you remain with me. And so Jesus tells us that there's no greater love than laying down life for his friends because that's what he does for his friends. And so this model of Jesus, who's one with the Father, and says that we should be one with him and then create a community that's one with one another. The profound reality is in order for the people to be one with the Father, something needed to be cut off. And people who are withering and not growing in fruitfulness, what we're told, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches, remain, but he is the one who would go to the cross to be cut off. Because yes, there is love in our world, but there's no greater love than the love where somebody lays down his life for his friends. And so what Jesus says is, this is the nature of my love. I go to death so you experience life. I'm cut off so you're grafted in. I give up my spirit so the spirit gets put into you. And if you believe that that's true, that, that the love of Jesus really is that good, which shows us the love of God, the God who has been from the beginning and will be in the end, when we are vitally attached to that, and that is bringing life into us, then we're told that's when we bear fruit. And so then we can look to others with the love that has been poured into us and do that, even if sometimes we have to lay down our lives for others. This is hard, but Jesus says it's good, it's fruitful. And so what I want to encourage is for you to remain in Christ and to so know the way that Jesus has loved you so that you will be able to look to him every time you're called to love somebody that you would imitate Jesus rather than others. But the model here is the love of the father comes in fullness in Jesus. The love of Jesus comes in fullness to us. And what he says is that then the love of God should come in fullness from my people to the world. 
which is that our hope in our relationships is no longer self-centered, that people would say, what a great loving person. But that through our imitation of Christ, they would see the, the, the greatness of the love that is in God and comes to us in a fruitful way that strengthens us by the Spirit. My hope for Emmanuel as a church is that we would do this, that we'd keep the commands of Jesus by loving one another as Jesus loved us. My hope is not that people at the end of the day will say, what a great church we have. But that as we do this, people will say, what a great God we have. And that's what changes us when we understand the love and the life of God and we're connected to that. That life comes into us so we bear fruit, real fruit, not self-serving, self-seeking, not imitative of what others have done to us, but, but where we imitate Jesus because we are so bound up in him that our greatest hope is that his life would flow from us to everyone. Our hope is that people would see the greatness of the love of God, our own weakness, but God's strength. And so I want to encourage you to connect with Jesus, to remain connected, and to keep his commandment that you'd love one another as he has loved you. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we pray for help. We pray that you would strengthen our spirits, that you would um, fill us with grace, that you, who came and joined yourself to us in the incarnation, who took on flesh and laid down that flesh so that the spirit could be poured into us so we can be united with you, our creator, our redeemer, and our friend. Lord, we confess that we have so much growing to do and we desire fruitful lives. And so, Lord, we humbly pray that if you are pruning us, it would be for our strengthening. We pray that where we're currently seeing weakness, wherever we're seeing it, that you would be pouring life into us through Christ so that we would be strengthened, that you would be preparing us for a future day of harvest, of fruitfulness. And so, Lord, forgive us, bear patiently with us, and train us to forgive others and to bear patiently with them. Lord, help us to know your love and help us to love others as you have loved us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.